I invite Elder Matt Balaka to come and preach the word this morning. Thank you, Ray. You know, since uh, Pastor Brad's been gone, I'm usually the one inviting people up to preach. It feels, it feels a little strange to be the one invited up. Um, also, just by way of introduction, um, since I'm also on the pastoral search committee, um, I'm listening to new preachers, and I have to do it with sort of a critical, a critical eye, if, if you know what I mean. I were wondering if these people would be a good fit, and we have people who've preached for us on the rotating pulpit, and I'm listening to make sure and feel them out. So all this uh, evaluating of preaching and sermons has got me a little bit more nervous than normal because I, I feel like maybe that's what you guys are doing to me. But, but um, God has been good to me. I've had people praying for me, and as I think about people who come to preach sermons to you guys who don't know you, well, that's one thing, but... Uh, we've known each other for a long time. We're we're friends, and as uh, as Tom said, you know, love unites and bonds us together. So I'm grateful for that. So open up your Bibles to Psalm one. We're going to read Psalm one, and then we're also going to read Psalm one nineteen ninety seven. So Psalm one first, the whole Psalm, and then just one verse from Psalm one nineteen. Uh, as you're getting there. It's, um, I think it's important to recognize that these psalms are songs. It's not just poetry, but these were, this is music, right? This is music that was put together. Uh, the Lord inspired the, the psalmists to put this together. And so we think about um, psalms as, as music, and you think about, well, what, what makes music good? What, what's in a good song? Well, lots of things, but maybe one of the most important things would be the, the meaning behind it, right? And a lot of times you, you hear songs and we like them and someone asks us, well, what's, what's that song about? I don't know. It's got a good beat, though. But good songs that you listen to again and again, there's usually a, a good or a, a deep meaning to it. So as we think about um, a meaningful subject or a message, um, we'll, we'll sort of prepare for that as we, as we read Psalm 1 as a song with a meaning, with a, deep, with a deep meaning. So let's pray and then we'll read our texts. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be here this morning as a church family. Um, as Tom said, we are in, a, in an interesting time of uh, transitioning leadership. And um, well, I'm grateful for Tom and Ray and the unity that we have and, and the unity that we share um, in this congregation. We pray, Lord, as we open your word this morning now, that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts. Help us to reflect upon this deeply, and we pray that your spirit would, would be at work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, sorry, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, now flip to Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Amen. This is God's holy word. So as we think about Psalm 1 and Psalm 119, which if I read all of Psalm 119, we'd be here for quite a while. That's, that's the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm. So you think about, well, what, what's the subject, right? We've got a couple of songs here, a couple of psalms. What is the subject? And the subject is God's law. And as we think about God's law, there's, there's a lot to be considered in it. There, people have written huge volumes of books on God's law. Um, well, I can only hope in a half an hour or so to, to give an overview, but I, but I hope it's a, a helpful overview for you. So what is God's law? Well, it's God's revealed will. It's what God says to do. Or it's God's rules. Man bears the image of God, and God tells us his rules in order that we might reflect his image. God's law is a reflection of the character of God himself. That is so important. When God speaks, when God tells his image bearers what to do, he's telling his image bearers what, what his holy character is in order that they might reflect his holy character. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God. So you hear people say sometimes, this is my house, my rules. Yeah, maybe tell some kids who are visiting in the neighborhood, my, my house, my rules. That's true. Well, this is God's world, and that means that it's God's rules. Well, doesn't that just make sense? God, God made the world. It's his. Everything belongs to him. So his rules are what we're going to live by. Well, so there are three types of laws. So I'll give you a, sort of a, an outline of what we're going to go through. We'll talk about three types of laws or three categories of laws found in Scripture. Then we'll talk about three uses of God's law. And then we'll, we'll kind of close up with some, some reflections on songs and, um, and then some application. So first the three types of laws or three categories of laws. Um, they're broken down into a category of moral law, ceremonial law, and then civil law. That's, those are helpful categories. Now, if someone says, okay, we got a lot of laws in the Bible, which goes where? Well, there might be some debate about that, right? Someone might say, oh, it's more of a moral law. No, that's more of a civil law or a ceremonial law. But those categories are helpful for us. Moral, ceremonial, and civil. So here's an example of the moral, a moral law. God says that you shall have no other gods before him. Okay? God tells us in this law what he requires, which is faithfulness. God requires faithfulness. And 
faithfulness is an attribute of God. Okay? God is faithful, and he calls his image bearers to be faithful and not commit spiritual idolatry by worshiping another god. Do you see how those, how those connect? That's an example of, of a moral law. Well, so then we have the next category, which would be ceremonial laws. And here are a couple of examples. One is the example of sacrificing animals. That would be considered in the Old Testament to be a sacrificial, or sorry, a ceremonial type of law. That was a lesson that God was teaching his people that sin required a payment. Okay? You sin in the Old Testament, and the law was that you had to sacrifice an animal. And you ask the question, well, what, what's that about? We're not doing that today. What was the lesson for God's people, for the church under age, which is how the Westminster Confession puts it? Well, he was teaching them what's taught in Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so blood was required as a payment for sin. This is a lesson, again, to prepare his people for when the Lamb of God would come and shed his blood as a payment for sin. You see that? Another ceremonial example would be no eating pork. No eating pork. God forbade his people, Israel, to eat pork. And that was a lesson for God's people not to indulge in that which was unclean. I don't have to tell you what pigs wallow in. <clears throat> it was an unclean animal. And God said, don't, don't eat it, don't touch it. And that was a lesson for them. Now, the New Testament does tell us that this restriction is over, the pork restriction. So bacon in the morning, no problem, no sin, shouldn't, shouldn't bother you. But the lesson should be retained. The lesson that God was teaching his people Israel was to stay away from that which was unclean. And so are there still things that are unclean in this world that the Christian needs to stay away from? Absolutely. How about movies with dirty scenes? Dirty, unclean scenes? Yeah. That's, Christians need to stay away from that. Um, I should say this, that as a category of Old Testament law, right? we've got the moral law category, the ceremonial law category, and then the civil law category, which we're going to get into. As a whole category, we look, to, we look at the ceremonial laws as a category that has expired or has been abrogated. That means that we don't have to, we don't have to live by those laws anymore. They, they served a purpose, they taught a lesson, and the lessons are still valid as we looked at, but the laws themselves are expired. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no value in looking at those laws, understanding what they meant. They still have valuable lessons for us. They help us to see um, the example that we looked at for shedding blood. They help us to understand the richness of God's redemption. But as far as living by them, right, you've got the mixed fabrics, restriction, shellfish, pork. Um, those are no longer things that, that we have to live by. We're not under, under the ceremonial laws any longer. Okay, now we look at the civil category, civil laws. An example of that would be putting a parapet around your roof. Now, everyone knows what a parapet is, right? Well, it's like a guardrail, okay? It's like having a guardrail. I think of a, a second-story balcony with a guardrail. Right? That would be a, considered a type of parapet. Now, in, in those days, in the Old Testament, it was really hot uh, 
On days where it was hot, people would go up on their roofs to cool down. Well, in order to protect life, God required that people would put a parapet around the roof so that there wouldn't be any accidental injury. Okay, so that's, that was one of the civil law examples. The, the general principle there was that God was calling people to take care and have regard for human life and prevent accidental injury. Here's another civil example. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. You guys ever heard that? God was showing his people that a worker is worthy of his wages. Paul uses this um, example in the Old Testament to, to establish what we know to be the duty of a congregation to pay a pastor who is a full-time vocational pastor. Don't, don't muzzle the ox. He's working, right? We're looking for a pastor, and we intend to pay him because God's law says to do that. That's, the, that's his vocation. So that was um, an, another example of a civil law. Now, the question is, are civil laws abrogated or expired? Well, that's a matter of some debate. Um, here, here's what I'll say. The simplest way for me to put this is that the principles of the civil laws, at least, are still valid for us today. But the laws themselves are not valid for us today. Okay? And if somebody wants to argue that, um, and, and I say, well, Paul said, don't muzzle the ox. And you say, is that still applicable in the New Testament time? Absolutely. Right? And so you look at the civil laws, and you see what the principle is and what, what is applicable. Again, there is a deep discussion on this topic. There's people who disagree on that, but um, again, we're flying over at 30,000 feet, and there's my take on it. How do you like that? All right, so um, finally, to wrap up on that, um, you're not in sin if you don't have a parapet around your roof but you are in sin if you don't regard and protect the lives of your guests around such things as swimming pools or balconies or if you have a boat and someone says, well, do you need to have life jackets for all of your boat guests? Yeah, you are looking, God still cares about protecting life and accidental injury. All right, we're, uh, we're moving off of that. We're moved from the three types of laws, the moral ceremony and ceremonial and civil, and now to three uses of the law. Three uses. What does God's law do? What does it do? Well, um, I should say this, that the three uses of the law have in view primarily the moral law, primarily the moral law, which are summarized in the Ten Commandments, okay? So if you need need to put something in place, right, we recite the Ten Commandments after the worship service every Sunday. Everyone knows about the Ten Commandments. And you say, that's a summary of the moral law. And as we look at what what does God's law do, what are the three uses of the law? Well, the first first use, and I guess I'll just tell you all three now and then we'll dive into them. First, it's a mirror, and then a muzzle, and then a map. easy, Easy to remember. Mirror, muzzle, and map. So let's turn to Romans 3.20. See the law as a mirror. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
a mirror shows you what you're really like. Uh, have you guys ever been to a, a hotel where in the bathroom they have that, that big mirror that's kind of connected to the wall, it's got a plug and it's, it's, it's big and shiny and around the mirror has this big bright light and then one of the sides of the mirror is like a, a magnifying mirror as well. In a hotel, bright lights, you got a light on the mirror and you start looking at yourself thinking, yikes, <laughs> right? Every, every blemish, you just think, is that what I really look like? Is that what I look like in truth? And the answer is, yeah. The mirror is showing you what you actually look like. Warts, warts and all. <laughs> um, and if that's not bad enough, what we have in this use of the law of a mirror that shows you how sinful you really are. These commandments show you how far you fall short of God's glory. Because not only does it hold up a mirror to show you what you're really like, but then it shows you God's perfection and Christ who fulfilled the law and what he's really like, right? Showing you all the blemishes on, on your face and then showing you the face of Christ that is spotless without wrinkle. And you think, wow. So it shows God's perfection, shows us our sinfulness, and just pins us to the wall, revealing how, how far short we have all fallen. And the use or intent in that case is to drive us to Christ. That, that's the purpose of it. It's to show you how sinful you are, to, sh to drive you to Christ, to show you your great need of a Savior. Okay, now we move to muzzle. All right, mirror, now muzzle. Proverbs 21.15. Proverbs 21.15 says, When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. God's law and justice done on the basis of God's law is a terror to evildoers. The threat of justice restrains evildoers. Uh, I recently met uh, a huge dog um, this past week. Big, big dog. And you think, what would a muzzle do? Well, a muzzle would work to prevent that dog from sinking his teeth into me. It would restrain the dog from doing all the damage that he's capable of doing. That's what a muzzle would do. So the use or intent of God's law is to strike the conscience of God's image bearer and put fear into him in order to restrain evil. God's law is written on the heart, remember. But because sinners suppress God's law, then the exposure of the law connects with that written law on the heart and, and the conscience might function, right? God gave us all a conscience. Sinners are searing that conscience in their ongoing sin. They want to suppress the law of God that's written on their heart. And the more we talk about it, the more they see God's law, the more they hear God's law, the more it, con the more it has the opportunity to connect with the sinner's conscience. And strike fear into him. Okay, now we move to map. Psalm 119 again, this time verse 105. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, so we're going camping soon in Yosemite, and um, it gets pretty dark at night, like pitch, pitch dark. And um, our campsites are usually uh, maybe a minute or two's walk to the restroom, and sometimes the kids have to use the restroom at night. And walking to the restroom in pitch black darkness on various terrain would be foolish, would be dangerous, let alone the black bears. Darkness, black bear, you can't see them. You need a light. You need a, a lamp for your feet and, and a light so that you can see where you're going. And this, this is a dark world. Sin has darkened this world, and we need the light of the law of God to light our way. For God's people, we seek to live lives that are glorifying to God. We want to walk in a way that is consistent with godliness and so please our Lord. And God's law instructs us in that way. All right, so these are the three uses of the law. Mirror, muzzle, map. Now, now let's consider God's law and the unbeliever more specifically. So now we're going to look at God's law and how it applies to unbelievers, and, and then we'll look at God's law and how it, how it applies to believers. So do we want unbelievers to see themselves in truth and to see their need of Christ? Is, isn't that what we want, right? We Then, if so, if we want to see unbelievers saved, we want them to see their need, we want them to see the mirror of God's law so they can see their sinfulness, their great need of a Savior, then we ought to want the law of God published that unbelievers might be exposed to it. And it used to be published. The Ten Commandments used to be, um, and maybe they still are, etched on the side of courthouses. The Save Mart near my house, when we first moved in, there was like a magnet sticker on the side of one of the um, cabinets, had the Ten Commandments on it. I'm thinking, well, that's nice. It's gone now. I, I was gone maybe a year or so after, after we moved in. But we ought to want that. Part of evangelism is showing the sinner his need for Christ. And we expose the law as we share the gospel. So we do want unbelievers exposed to the law of God for the purpose of showing them their need for Christ. Well, do we want unbelievers restrained from doing evil? Yeah, yes we do. For three reasons. One, for his own sake. We want the unbeliever to be restrained from doing evil for his own sake. Even if he never comes to Christ, even if he never gets saved, do you realize that there are degrees of punishment in hell? Oh, yes, there are. There are degrees of punishment. Jesus talks about it being worse for this town than for this other town. And that means that as God exercises perfect justice on unbelievers who die in their unbelief, it would be better for that unbeliever to have committed just one less sin. You think, well, is, is the oven going to be dialed down a little bit? Yeah, that's true. There are degrees of punishment. And so even if he never comes to Christ, we want him not to sin for his own sake. 
that hell will be a, a little less terrible for him. And for the sake of others. So first, for the sake of himself, for the sake of others who we care about, and we don't want them to be hurt by evildoers. We want unbelievers restrained from doing evil so that people we love, which should be everybody, believers and unbelievers, would be protected from the full, the full range of evil that unbelievers would commit. And the law of God works to restrain that. And that's what we want. And finally, for God's sake, we love our Lord. We don't want to see God sinned against. And so for the sake of the glory of, the glory of our Lord, we don't want people sinning, sinning up a storm. We would want the law of God published and put in front of unbelievers to restrain evil for, his, for their own sake, for the sake of others, and for the sake of our Lord. So publishing the law, even for unbelievers, is good, and we should want more of it. Now, do we want unbelievers using God's law as a map? Remember, we talked about the three uses of God's law, a mirror, a muzzle, and then a map. And the map is supposed to show people how to live a life that's glorifying to God. Do we want unbelievers to see the law of God as something that they would organize their lives by in order to please God? It's kind of a tricky question. Well, the, an the answer is no, because we don't want the unbeliever thinking, as many unbelievers do, that if they basically live by God's law outwardly, that somehow they're going to be good enough to merit entrance into heaven. And so we don't want that. We don't want to tell unbelievers that you can, why don't you just improve your life and live by the light of God's law? And if we just tell them that and they say, okay, I'll give it a shot, then we've, we've done them wrong. They cannot, they must not step over the mirror function of God's law. So be careful with that. Um, scripture says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We read that earlier. And Scripture says this too. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's in Hebrews 11:16. That means that the, an unbeliever can outwardly do things that are according to God's law. And is it pleasing to God? No. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So unbelievers, though they outwardly might conform their lives to the law of God, they are yet sinning against God because they're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for something else. Various different things, maybe for their own glory, maybe because they love, fellow, they love their fellow man in, in a certain sense, but it's not glorifying to God. It's impossible to please God without faith, and these unbelievers, by definition, don't have any faith. It's Hebrews 11:16. Okay, now let's think of the law of God and the believer. The law of God and the believer. Do we still need a mirror? Well, yes, as long as the old man is alive and kicking. Ever speak sinfully to your kids? Ever get harsh with them? Sin against your kids that way? You need to see that. Ever sinfully grumble and complain about things, situations, other people? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do, don't we? And you need to see the mirror of God's law to show you that that is sin. We need to see our sin that we might repent of it and be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 tells us that. Do we still need a muzzle? That's an interesting one because it, with our mouths we sin so often, don't we? You like it when other Christians sin against you and hurt you? The law of God that prohibits us from backbiting ought to muzzle our overactive mouths. And finally, do we need a map? We talked about that already. Of course we do. R.C. Sproul, when he was alive, talked about the idea that antinomianism was rampant in the church. Okay. You know what that word means? Antinomianism basically means against the law. Thinking that God's law doesn't apply, taking God's law lightly, antinomianism. And R.C. Sproul, while he was alive, said that it was rampant in the church today. People say, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. You heard that? That's a Bible passage, actually. But misunderstanding that, we can make Christians think that the gospel takes away the duty that we have to obey the law. Now listen to what the Westminster Confession says in chapter 19. It says, The moral law doth forever bind all, as well justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof. See that? It says forever. Doth forever bind all. And that, not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God the Creator who gave it. And we talked about that before. It's not just a bare obedience to the law, but a recognition of the God who gave the law. Now listen to this. Neither doth Christ in the gospel in any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. Does Jesus in the gospel dissolve our obligation to the moral law? On the contrary, he strengthens it. Is that shocking? I mean, in a, in a culture where antinomianism is rampant, that kind of talk should be shocking. Because a lot of people think, well, the gospel came so that I don't have to um, be strict with God's law. I don't have to look at God's law as something that needs to be obeyed. Praise be to God. Jesus came. And so I don't have to take the law very seriously anymore. Well, that's not what the confession says. It says that Christ's coming and his gospel strengthens your obligation to the law. Now, obviously, we can't get confused, right? You need to understand that if you're looking at the law of God as something that you can obey in order to justify yourself, in order to merit the righteousness required to enter God's kingdom, if you're approaching the law that way, if you're zealous for the law that way, you're never going to make it to heaven. That's not the attitude of somebody who's been born again. That it's a waste of time. You ought to read what Paul says about all of his righteousness as dung, Right? Someone's got to put you in your place. If you're acting that way and thinking that way, that your righteousness that, or that your obedience to the law is going to merit you righteousness, somebody's going to show you that that's dung and, that, and they need to speak strongly to you about that. But if you're saved, if you're born again, 
then your, your approach to the law of God is different. It's not as something that you need to do in order to gain salvation, to gain righteousness, but it's something that you should be serious about because of what Christ has done. He has transferred you into his kingdom. It's, it's not the mirror aspect of the law that's at work in the Christian. It's the map aspect. Getting those things straight and understanding them is, is crucial. It's crucial on the one side because your, your eternity depends on it. And it's crucial on the other side because your life of Christ-likeness and godliness depends on it. And if people tell you, yeah, we don't have to worry about the law anymore. We're Christians. You run. Run and hide. Another um, thing that people say, this is more of a phrase, um, they would say something like this, that, that this book is not a rule book. Have you ever heard people say that? The Bible is not a book of rules. <laughs> well, the scriptures are our ultimate rule for faith and life, Right? All our beliefs, all our behavior needs to be ruled by God's rules in his book. God has given commandments. Commandments are supposed to be followed, right? God is the commander. He gives a commandment. And the proper response to that is obedience. And if someone says, well, that's not a rule, I said, what, what else is a commandment but a rule? Um... Have you ever put together an Ikea set? There's, there aren't very many Ikeas around here, but it doesn't have to be Ikea. It can be anywhere, right? They send you this big box of, of uh, parts with a, with a manual and tools and little wrenches and all the rest, and the men, all, all the men say, yikes. I don't know if you guys are like this. I've heard that it's not just me, but I hate reading those rules. I can't stand I'll just look at the picture and get the parts and put them together. I can't sit there and read these, these rules of this part and that part. I, I can't stand it. But sometimes if it's, if it's too complicated, I have to read the rules, right? This piece of furniture has to come out right. It has to be built properly. And I need to know what goes where. Well, you want to be, as Christians, we want to be built up into Christ-likeness. That's what God's doing to us. It's building you up into Christ-likeness. That's the goal. And what is he using in order to do that? His book, his laws. That, that, so, I mean, again, this attitude of, of anti-lawism, anti-nomianism, well, it just has to go. All right, now, now we move on to... Um, something a little lighter. Uh, what, what kind of songs do you guys like to listen to? What, what kind of music do you like? What kind of songs do you like? What, what do you like hearing? You know, sometimes you, you find a song, you listen to it again and again. Um, I like all kinds of music. Um, silly songs, you know, you think, we're thinking about what's the message of the song. I, I like a song called Little Honda by the Beach Boys, right? And someone says, oh, what's the message? How deep is it? It's about right about riding a little motorcycle, which I think is fun for me, right? It's a fun song, it's a cute song, and, and I think it's neat. But then there are more serious songs that, that I like, and one I can think of recently that I've been 
listening to, and I, I've listened to it again and again. I, that's how I am. When I find a song that I like, I'll, I, I like hitting repeat. Well, this particular song is about a young girl, and um, she grows up in a broken family. Her dad's an alcoholic, and, um, and he's sick. He doesn't want to work. Uh, her, mom, her mom leaves her dad, uh, but the dad needs care, so... So the girl has to stay home, though she'd rather go to school. Um, she, she works at a, at a convenience store. She's, she's just at home taking care of her dad. And then some guy comes around, and he's got a nice car. And, um, and she meets him, and, and she just thinks, this is a way of escape. We, we can get out of here, right? You and your car, let's get out of here. And she does. But the, the boy who rescues her ends up being just like her dad. And she's stuck. This promise of this escape, this fast car that's supposed to deliver her from this terrible life just becomes something that binds her right back where, where she is. Now, that, that song is, is deeper than Little Honda, okay? And if someone says, well, well, what do you care about it? You know, why is it so meaningful to you? Well, that's not the life I grew up in. I mean, I, I'm not a girl. I, I never met a guy with a fast car who's going to take me away. <laughs> but I have young girls. And I grew up in a, in a culture where that was, that was pretty common. I don't, I don't want my girls thinking that they're trapped in some house, that any, any form of escape, they'll take it. They meet anybody, doesn't matter who it is. If he has a car, they're just ready to get in and go. Oh, I don't want that at all. And just recently, maybe kind of putting two things together, um, I, bought a, I bought a bike yesterday from these two bulldogs, right? You know, the, the gang, bulldogs, right? Yeah, I met them in the morning at a gas station, and they were girls, and they had all the bulldog tattoos. And I'm just looking at them thinking, I, I, I know you don't have a good relationship with your dad, right? That, I mean, that it's, it's, it impacts me to think through that. Now, one last thing about this song is the chorus of the song is about this girl reflecting back on the first few rides that she had with this young guy. And she says that, that when you put your arm around my shoulder, it felt nice. And she said that, that I had a feeling that I belonged. She said, I, I have had a feeling that I could be someone. And I think through that and I think, man, this, that human need to belong, the, the, the human need to be someone. And we say, what do I want my kids to to grow up thinking. They're going to have that desire as well. I want to feel like I belong. Yeah, belong to the people of God. I, I want to feel like I can be someone. Say, yes, you're made in the image of God, redeemed in his kingdom, and, and, and that's who you are. And if, and if they don't have that, then they're going to go seek it somewhere else. They're going to go try to belong to some other group, and they're going to try to seek their identity in something else. Now, wh why do I tarry so long on this? <laughs> well, these songs 
have meaning to me. They're relevant. And I think, what about the Psalms? Psalm 1, right? We don't have the music, the original music for, us, uh, for that psalm, which is unfortunate. I, I, I wish I could hear it sung in, in the original music. But we do have the lyrics. We know what it's about. We have the meaning of the psalm. And so you think of that and say, the psalmist wrote a song about loving the law of God. That was the meaning. That was the message of his song. Loving, loving God. No, loving the law of God. Right? Oh, how I love thy law. And you think, love the law? It, love a, you want me to love a bunch of rules? A rule book? You want me to have my devotion and write songs and music, deep songs? I bet, I bet the first psalm was deeper than this fast car song that I was talking to you about, right? I, I bet David was more invested in his psalm than I am in this secular song. And he wrote it about the law of God. Well, the law of God was obviously relevant to David. And the question is, is it less relevant to us? Do we see God's law as a burden? Turn to 1 John 5, 3. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, as we close, <clears throat> one of the things that's so important to do <clears throat> is approaching the law of God with wisdom. That is so important to do. I heard someone I heard someone say jokingly, right? If you don't read your Bible with wisdom, right, you just flip it open and see, okay, what does God have to say to me? Um, here, Judas went out and hanged himself. Yeah, not that one. Go and do likewise. <laughs> right, you think, I, I know what God wants me to do. <laughs> well, understanding the law of God with wisdom is what we need. Someone else likened the law of God to... Um, um, a set of hair clippers, you know, boys get their hair cut with these hair clippers. Uh, Caleb has a nice, fresh haircut, right? He, think of, think of I mean, those hair clippers can cost 20 bucks at, at Target, or you can get the really expensive kind, right? That what, they can be $200 for this wonderful set of clippers. Think of that, think of the expensive kind. And you think, here it is, perfect, they work so well, sharp. Give him to a kid and watch him try to cut his own hair and just butcher himself. You say, what happened? He said, these clippers. <laughs> I said, no, it wasn't the clippers. It was you. You don't know how to cut hair. You, you, that's not using them in wisdom. Let Jackie cut your hair. She knows how to do it. But that's, that's it. You say, oh, okay, the law of God is good. It's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can do the job. It's wonderful. But, but I need wisdom in order to use it. 
And God says, if you need wisdom, come to me, and he'll give it to you. We need to approach the law of God with wisdom. Wisdom is skill in living, and God's law is our instruction for life. Put, put those two things together. Wisdom is skill in living, and God's law is his instruction for our life. God's law is to be meditated upon. That means it's to be richly understood. Do you ever hear people say that they want to know God more deeply? Love God more, grow closer to God? Well, God is lovely, his character is lovely, and his law reflects his character, which is also lovely. His law is lovely. Oh, how I love what is lovely, and his law is lovely. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of God, and on God's law he meditates day and night. Does that sound strange, to delight in the law of God? I mean, I, I try to read my Bible every morning, and if someone says, are you, are you delighting, especially when you get to the, to the law portion? Well, depends on how much coffee I've had, right? I don't, I don't always delight in it, but, but the psalm says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you want to be blessed? Well, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's, that's powerful language, right? Do you want to be spiritually watered? You want to spiritually have green leaves rather than crusty brown leaves? Is that, is that what you want? Well, that's what, that's what we want, don't we? We want to be blessed. We want to, we want to be living in the light of God. We want, to, we want to be nourished, well watered, green leaves, fruit in its season. And the psalmist, the psalmist says, okay, delight, meditate day and night on what? On the law of God. Bearing fruit to the glory of God, that's, that's what we want. And the prospering in the things that God has called us to do, that's what it says there. It says, in all he does, he prospers. That's what this love song called Psalm 1 says. So we, we are God's people, saved by God's grace, not by works of the law that no man should boast. We are saved by his grace, not saved by good works or law-keeping, but saved to good works and law-keeping. Not by it, but to it. And again, if you're confused about that, if you're mixed up on that, I would say get that settled before, before you go to bed tonight. You need to understand that distinction. It's crucial. But if you understand that distinction and the, the third use of the law, this wonderful, glorious map that God has given us that lights our way, that is a, that is a lamp to our feet, that is, that is good for us, is glorifying to him. That's what we want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for viewing your law, for considering your law, for thinking about your law in a way that is less glorifying than you would have us think about it. We praise you, Lord, that, 
that Christ fulfilled the law, that he perfectly obeyed your law, and he gained for us perfect, spotless righteousness, which righteousness is required to enter into your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to never think that our approach to your law would merit our acceptance before you. But Lord, help us also to see that your law is good. It reflects your character. It, it reflects Christ's character. And you are growing us into Christ-likeness. Help us to see your law that way, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.